The views and opinions expressed by guests on the Hide and Seek podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or positions of the host or contributors. Hey everyone, this is Sarah. Would you like to take a more active role in the Hide and Seek community? Would you like to share your thoughts with other listeners? Join us in the Hide and Seek podcast discussion group on Facebook. You can find us by searching Hide and Seek podcast discussion group on Facebook. This podcast deals with mature topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. Material heard on the Hide and Seek podcast is intended for adult listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Sweet dreams are made of this. 24-Hour News Aid's Brady Gillum went to Sturgis tonight to speak with the missing woman's mother about what may have happened to her daughter. I can tell you where she most likely is. I hadn't seen anybody that I felt comfortable saying anything to until today. The stories they tell are pretty fucked. They're pretty freaking gruesome. I kept all the text messages, Facebook messages, the messages between me and Brittany. I have all of them. I have everything. I told him, I said, I'll kill all them motherfuckers. And I was going to have my people fucking take care of it. I'll just say Brittany's name out of nowhere just to see what somebody says. Because this little town around here would be hard to hide something like that. Because eventually everything comes out. To me, some days I don't believe anything happened to her. I think she just left. This is Hide and Seek, Season 3. I'm your host, James Basinger. Hey guys. Last week, we opened up the case file. You heard official reports regarding the witness testimony of Sheldon, Bowman, Grandma, the elderly gentleman, John, and the teen home alone. You also heard official dispatch times allowing us to put together a more cohesive timeline. Another memorable point in the case file is what we learned regarding Brittany's visit to the second home. The teen who was home alone says, he heard a knock at the front door while hearing footsteps at the back door. Next, he sees a white female walking from the backyard to the front yard when he hears another knock at the front door. After reading his testimony in the case file, we decided a brief follow-up interview was necessary to clarify a few things. In interview, I learned that Brittany went to the window at the front of the house and peered in. As Sarah and I discussed this, we agree that this sounds like an action that has intention behind it, 
if she was looking for help and sees the team, why is she walking away? Did she realize he was scared and she wouldn't get help there? Or was she just as startled as he was when they saw one another? Very recently, I spoke with the neighbor who drove to the teen's house to check on him after this concerning encounter. And for convenience, we're gonna refer to the neighbor friend as Ben. Ben tells me the young man calls mom and mom contacts him to go check on this situation. The initial phone call to 911 from John's home comes in at 8.51 p.m. The second call, where John reports that Brittany has walked away and he no longer sees her, comes in at 8.56 p.m. We've recapped Brittany's likely next steps. So at this time, I'd like to share Ben's recollection of events once he arrives to the home of the young man. Ben says he goes into the house. He learns more about what's happened. He takes a look around both the house and the yard. He gets back into his vehicle, at which point he goes down Fawn River Road to Workman Road and finds the abandoned vehicle. Ben tells me he looks into the car and it's a mess. He recalls the glove box being open and belongings pulled out of it. He tells me the interior of the car was a mess. Ben calls dispatch at 9.24 p.m. He leaves and makes his way down Silver Creek Road looking for someone who may need help. He follows it back to Watt Road, which connects back to Fawn River Road, where he heads back to the car to wait for law enforcement. For those who don't know the area, if you picture it like the letter P, Workman would be the leg of P, Silver Creek would be the top of the P, Watt Road would be the belly, and Fawn River would be the underbelly. The last noteworthy item to touch on is that Ben did indeed inform law enforcement that he had been called to the young man's home for the report of strangers at the door. In today's episode, we'll continue the same style as last episode. There's a lot to get to, so let's jump in. All right, so Sarah, I want us to, we, we kind of have a list of individuals who we want to work in, or at least look into. And as I mentioned before, I really want to kind of focus on the people, you know, who surrounded Brittany and who were close to Brittany, friends, lovers. And then, you know, with the leads that we've looked at and what we've chosen to pursue based on evidence, there are individuals I want to also look at what they had said and what they had shared with law enforcement. We have people who have claimed to have taken polygraphs. We have people who have claimed to have provided their vehicles. And then we have an audio recording of someone, you know, sharing what they thought had happened to Brittany that got, you know, turned over to law enforcement. We've prioritized that list and what order we're going to go in. And where I would like to start with is Eric Glide. To kind of give a backstory real quick for those who might be wondering, you know, who's Eric Glide again? Uh, I know there's a lot of characters involved in this case. Glide was the male who was recorded, secretly recorded, when he was sharing knowledge that he had heard or had known about Brittany's disappearance. And it's Ashley and J.J. Fox who are recording Glide. We played that earlier in this season. So why don't you give us a summary about what he had shared with law enforcement. 
So Eric Glide gives his statement and the sergeant calls Eric because he received a tip from Jessica, uh, Brittany's mother, that there was an audio recording um, and that audio recording is turned over to the sergeant and it mentions information about Brittany being killed. Jessica tells the sergeant that the recording is between John Fox Jr. and Eric Glide. So the detective makes contact with Eric Glide over the phone, requesting that he come to the sheriff's department for an interview. Eric stated that he would, but then he began to talk about how he did not know Brittany Shank. He states that Brittany's mom, Jessica, had contacted him about the recordings and stated that he didn't know any information about the disappearance of Brittany Shank. He states that he had never been to Don Hill's residence prior. He stated that the conversation in question was him and another female, and he names Ashley, talking and that J.J. Fox was around them at the time that he was talking to her, but he was not talking to J.J. And he makes a point of saying that he wasn't talking to J.J. He stated that everyone had been talking about Brittany and he'd been telling everybody to stop spreading rumors. He goes on to say that most of the names that have been brought up in the investigation, he didn't know, and that he does not get along with J.J. Fox. Eric states that he does not know Brittany Shank and has never had contact with her and has no involvement in the case. He states he does not have any information, and if he did, he says he would bring it to police. Eric goes on to say that at this point, present time when he's speaking there's a lot of rumors going around that seem to be unsubstantiated and that's why he has told everybody he knows to, to stop talking about it the detective asks him if he comes into any information or receives any more information if he would contact them and Eric agrees and says that he would and that's the end of the statement nothing new from what he has shared with us what I would say is Eric, why didn't, you know, Glide, why didn't you share with law enforcement what you were sharing with Ashley? Of course, they already have it. You know, they have the recording, which is why you're there or you're on the phone with them. You know, why not share what you had heard? I, I, it's something I, I'm curious about and something I can follow up with him. But like he had said, he's also saying a lot of the, a lot of its rumors and none of it's unsubstantiated. And he tells everyone to stop talking about it, which can come off like if someone's trying to, you know, shut this conversation down, people are wanting to talk about this, but when it's kind of being targeted towards him, in my polygraph episode with Ashley, she says, she says she knows, but she doesn't know, but she knows. First name she throws out is Eric Glide. I've always kind of wondered like, why is that such a strong point for her? And she talks about how She's not referring to this conversation. She's referring to a, a text, texting conversation between the two of them, how Eric Glide says if she's still alive. Well, I, I, she mentions some sort of comment about that and how that's really her strong point as to why Eric Glide did and how he's trying to he's trying to pin it on these other individuals that have been brought up into the uh, rumors. And so I get why he would want to shut it down. Yeah, I don't know. There's not money, much takeaway. I don't I don't see why she feels so strongly about him specifically. I really would like to know why. I mean, give me what it is. I, I would happily corner and talk to Eric. He still contacts me. Like, he knows I'll ask him straight up. You know, there's no bullshit about this. Eric's always been straight up with me. So if you can give me something that contradicts what he's told me, 
I'll happily confront him. I think to your to your first um, point, where you when you mentioned that he didn't, Eric Glide doesn't tell them what he told Ashley. <laughs> to be fair, the sergeant doesn't even ask. It seems. We don't know for sure whether that question was asked or not. From this statement, uh, it seems like that question wasn't asked. And so was it swept under the rug? I don't know. Like you said, they they have the recording. They know what was said. So do they need to ask? I don't know. I, I think there would have been some more follow-up questions, but... And and it doesn't seem like there is, you know, the, the sergeant calls with the intention of having Glide come down to the station. And he they have this brief, what seems like a brief conversation. And I haven't seen in the case file another occasion when Glide comes, actually comes to the station. So, you know, whether whether that's because they aren't taking this tip seriously or if that's because... You know, maybe they know that this is junk. Then, you know, I I guess I could see that too. I guess I one question I do have is I always kind of found it a little interesting why Ashley chose to provide it to Jessica first instead of just taking it to law enforcement. Like I don't I don't understand that. Like why did you? I she mean, has she, given she's told a reason. Me she has it's because she thought her mother deserved to know first. Why don't you think her mom deserves to have her passwords? Like, I like that's something. Or her group. In this moment where you have her passwords and you say, well, I think her mom deserved to hear this recording first. I'm not buying that. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we got for Eric Glide, right? That's it. Okay. Bring on Chuck Allen. All right, so Sarah, let's let's talk about Chuck Allen real quick, and for listeners just trying to you know refresh people's memory as we go through this. Chuck was the guy who was at the gas theft video with the ring camera we played, and you see him walking back behind the camera where you can see him. He's no longer in the in the frame. He comes back and he opens the door, and we hear someone screaming. Mm-hmm. There were many rumors about how that was Brittany that was on that ring camera screaming. That there was some sort of connection to Brittany's case through this gas theft. Let's talk about his testimony and what he shares with law enforcement. So Chuck gives a statement and in that statement he says that he was at that location, that farm, um, because he was just quickly trying to take a piss but he wasn't trying to to steal anything. He says that there was a guy with him by the name of Cody. Cody, for those that don't know, is who Chuck has, has maintained was with him since the beginning. And unfortunately, since this, this time, Cody has passed. So uh, before he did, before he passed, though, he did give a statement to police, which we'll get to in a second. Chuck says Cody was in the back seat, and he freaked out when he walked back to the car, and um, he screamed. And Chuck says he was, you know, basically fooling around, you know, trying to to 
scare him. Startle like, him. Was, yeah, yeah, he thought it was funny. Trying to startle him. Chuck says he leaves the farm location and he heads back down Fawn River to Nottawa and he drops Cody off. And that's about the gist of it. And for Cody, he does provide a testimony and he does share with law enforcement and confirms what Chuck has stated already in that he was with Mm -hmm. Chuck. Uh, He remembers falling asleep in the car and then Cody provides information to law enforcement about how he still, he deals with night terrors apparently. And that's what was happening and taking place in the video. He doesn't remember it, but he talks about this being something that he deals with. He does confirm that he's known Chuck since he was 15, 16 years old. He does mention though that he does recall meeting Brittany once. It was through a girl that he was dating, but he had met her when he was 17. It wasn't any time recent to, and he never met her or ran into her again after that. Like Chuck says, Cody remembers waking up, then being at his residence and then going inside. But that was Cody's testimony, which again confirms in in a lot of the things that Chuck said, but it does add a little bit more to that medical side where it kind of makes sense why he's freaking out the way he is in that type of situation. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately he's not here with us today, but you know, their stories are matching up thus far. Yeah, it seems like the stories are, are very similar. Law enforcement doesn't stop there, though. Of course, because of all these stories that have been thrown out there, along with the white Cadillac not matching, so we can address that now. The white Cadillac has been, it's been said that the Cadillac that law enforcement confiscated or took in to test was the wrong Cadillac. That was something that was consistently told, and there were three others out there that we had to go look for. Chuck is driving with two other individuals, and he actually gets pulled over in his car. Well, he has a warrant for his arrest, so of course, law enforcement apprehends him. There's another individual in the car who gets apprehended because he has a warrant. Now, there's a third individual in the car who's a female. She tags along with him down to the sheriff's office, which she gets questioned, but they end up letting her go. She didn't have any warrants or anything. They just wanted to ask some additional follow-up questions. But we have his car, him in the car, leaving the scene, registration, VIN number, so we can put that all to end. Now, we've heard the interview, but law enforcement wants to see if Chuck's willing to give permission for law enforcement to search his vehicle. And I'd like to add, they got started on this right away. I think they seemed excited about this. They started at 3.30 in the morning. Like you said, they're they're excited to get this done. It seems like they're very motivated to get this done. They start processing the car uh, immediately. And so they take the car and the phone, Chuck's phone, and he he signs over permission for both. There's no, you know, argument. There's no putting up a, a fight. They're processing. They're getting to work 3.30 in the morning, and they, they discover this drip-lit of blood that they think. By morning, Chuck's being interviewed again. They're saying, hey, do you want to tell us more about what you may know? Because we just found this. They're telling him, hey, we're going to hold your car longer. We're going to test this. Like, it'd be better you tell us now before we f- discover this. Find out that this is Brittany's blood. He's like, go for it. I'm not worried. What's he most concerned about? <laughs> getting his car back? He, he is more concerned about getting the car back um, than the potential of, you know, something in the car incriminating him. So... They, they process the car. There's nothing in the car that pertains to Brittany. And they process his phone. 
And again, there's nothing that pertains to Brittany on his phone. And, you know, again, he he could have made this much more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have made them get a warrant and do it that way. But instead he says, sure, go ahead. Whatever you need to do so I can clear my name and get my car back. And there's nothing. There's yeah. There's nothing. Obviously, results come back negative. It's not Brittany's DNA. Correct. Correct. If you recall, <laughs> there's a point in time while Chuck's in jail, he is starting to hear these rumors. He's in jail mm-hmm. when he when he gets booked. This is in January. Uh, <clears throat> it's actually January 24th, 2019. It's not yes. until months later, in October, after he's heard all of these rumors and it's getting back to him while he's in jail, he contacts law enforcement or the detective on the case and he tells them, hey, I want a polygraph because I want my name off of this. Yeah. Let's start with the dates on when he requests for the polygraph. So Chuck takes two polygraphs. The first polygraph he requests to take is on 918 of 2019. And the result for this comes back inconclusive. And the second one he requests to take is a month later on October 17th. And this one comes back with a pass. Obviously, when I saw this, that it was inconclusive, I thought, uh, what's going on? You know? Yeah, yeah. This is the first red flag where you're like, whoa. But then he, you know, says run it back let's do it next month if i don't know if there's any stipulation or if there's any kind of like rule that you need to wait for x amount of time to be able to ask questions Mm -hmm. again i don't know Mm -hmm. but you know he says put me in the chair again strap me up comes back and pass chuck's done just about everything that you can expect someone and 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 to be honest like if you're going to try to pin something on me you better come with some facts. You know, you better come prepared. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they they hit him with the the drop of blood. You know, they allow him to take two polygraph tests. They take his phone. He's giving them everything to be able to find whatever they need to, including the vehicle that it's been said she was transported in. Without without really putting up much of any kind of fight. To me, somebody who takes a polygraph and it comes back inconclusive. I would not expect that they're going to say, hey, let's do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I would not expect that at all. But he says, hey, let's do it again. Let's do it a month later. Um, I'm ready. Let's go. Yeah. Another point to what, you know, Chuck's behavior. What did he tell Ashley when she's at his house? Well, go take a polygraph. It's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's again, confirmation of his mentality and approach and, you know, I I took two. Go take one. That's how, that's how you can clear your name. Yeah. The next individual I want to talk about is someone that we had talked about earlier in the episodes. His name is Zach Keener, a.k.a. the Pablo Escobar of Sturgis. So Zach uh, gives his statement, and he says that... The first time he heard about Brittany missing was in the early part of December between the 7th and the 10th. 
He states on 1130, he was with a friend by the name of Chris Giddens uh, the majority of the day. And then he went home at approximately 1 a.m. He states that he and Chris were hanging out with uh, another friend and another two friends, um, both females. He stated that they hung out at Chris's dad's house all day on the 30th. So we move on to later in the day, the early evening of the 30th. And he said that he was at the Mechanic Street house that he was staying at with James Schaffner, who Zach mentioned in his interview with you. And he stated he may have left to go to the store and back. He stated that Chris Giddens had been hanging out with some bad people, he says. And he names six, six or seven people. And one of them is Eric S., He states that he and his two other female friends had contacted each other um, that day and decided to get together and hang out. He stated he left Schaffner's house to go to Chris's and stated that he believed that his friend may have picked him up between 4 and 5 p.m. on the 30th. He goes on to say that he went to, to Chris's and stated that he left to get food a couple times didn't remember where stated that he'd left uh, one or two times and he says that ultimately he ends up walking home at approximately 1 a.m. on 12-1 he goes on to or show the detective rather his Google Maps for the day and according to the Google Maps that he was showing He didn't appear to leave the city of Sturgis for the entire day. He gave his Google account, um, actually two Google accounts, and stated that he knows a subject um, by the name of Ashley. He stated that they used to work together and he had stayed with her for a period of time, about a week in June, after his mom had passed away. He says that Ashley may have a grudge against him because he had told her off at at one point because he was stressed out about losing his mother. Zach goes on to say that he leaves Ashley sometime um, in the second week of June and he moves to Indiana and then eventually moves back to Michigan. Zach says that his friend Chris Giddens is, is not a violent person. He says that Brittany and JJ Riel had come to Schaffner's home. He stated it was in the middle of the night and they were talking about a knife with Schaffner. He says that they were they were all in the garage and he was watching from the house. He says that he wasn't involved in the conversation and says that the only reason he knew that that was Brittany was because Schaffner later tells him that that was Brittany with JJ. Zach states that he wouldn't have known that it was Brittany if Schaffner didn't tell him. And that wraps up the statement from Zach. That's pretty much all he says. It's a lot of stuff. Okay, so let's... Let's break that down for a second. So, first off, he confirms that he was with four friends on the 30th. Him and Chris, along with two females, they go to Chris's dad's house, which is what he told me. 
and confirm what time did he say that they went? Uh, he was picked up between, he thinks, between four and five. So they're there. And is this when you were explaining how they were, that they may have gone out to get food and came back? Yeah, but they go out to Kaner's, get food, he thinks, a couple couple times. But does Kaner's, does it mention Kaner's phone staying, uh, stand still or is it moving around like he says? It it doesn't say specifically to those to those incidents of going out to get food. Um, okay. What the detective says is that it just shows him on Google Maps for the day, and that he doesn't leave Sturgis. Which I would think, if you were to leave Sturgis and you look at Sturgis on a map and you look at where Grandma's house is, I would think that would be considered leaving Sturgis and not being in the city. You know what I'm saying? Plus, if they're looking at his location, seeing if there's any relevance to grandmas or in that area, they would have said yes and questioned him on it. Mm-hmm. So he stays in town with those four individuals. Right. You mentioned some other stuff about how Zach mentions Chris, though, hanging around some a rough crowd of people. Yeah. And includes Eric. Yeah, he, he says some bad people and he names um, six or seven people and one of them is is Eric S. Why does I'm just curious why do, do we know why he mentions or even brings that up? No, he he just says that Chris had been hanging around with them and he doesn't really go into a reason why he brings that up or why he thinks they're bad people. But then we have him also acknowledging that he has a relationship or a friendship with Ashley. But thinks Ashley could be having a grudge because he had told her off or something. Yeah, I think he, I think it was a former friendship, by the sounds of this. At this point in time of his interview. Yeah. Yeah. What he had told me is that the way I received it was he didn't know one hundred percent if that was Brittany who had came to Mechanic Street where they he was he was a uh, renting uh, I think out uh, one of the rooms from James. And as I understood it, he didn't know 100% as to who it was. And he wasn't really clear, but from my recollection is that he thought he remembered it being Brittany after seeing a picture of her because he didn't know her. Schaffner's the one who confirms that it was Brittany, which is important because who's J.J. Ryle and what's his relationship with Brittany? That's something we definitely want to look further into because if that is her... We want to talk to all the people that she was close with, of course. Chris Giddens uh, goes to the sheriff's department to give a statement. And uh, he starts off by telling them he has never met Brittany. He didn't know anything about anybody missing until he saw a post on Facebook. He says in the past 24 hours, he's been getting some horrible messages on his phone about Brittany missing. Do we have a date of this? The, the, the interview? His interv- yeah, the interview. Because if he's saying the past 24 hours. Right. The interview was conducted on 12-29-18. He says he's been getting these horrible messages on his phone for the past 24 hours. And he goes on to say that the, the messages are, you know, mostly pertaining to rumors um, about Brittany's disappearance. He says someone told him that Brittany had family that lives out on Fawn River Road, but but he doesn't he doesn't know for certain. The officer asks about his car and asks if he can confirm the make and model, and Chris does. 
the, the officer asks if he can see his phone and Chris hands over his phone willingly. He says that he recently gave his 10-year-old his old phone uh, because he has the same phone number, but it's a, a different phone. It's a new device. To clear- yeah, new device. Yeah. He wants to clarify that with the officer. Chris mentions the, the ticket that we've all heard about with blood on it. And he acknowledges that, yes, he did get a ticket. And yes, it does have blood on it. He says that he works as a machinist and he busted his knuckle at work. The officer checks his knuckle and does confirm that there is a healing wound. The officer asks again about Brittany and if he knew her. And he says he is 100% sure he's never met Brittany. The officer and Chris go to the parking lot of the sheriff's department where the officer requests permission to search Chris's car and Chris gives it. The officer searches the car, the uh, interior, both the interior of the car and the trunk, and he finds nothing of evidentiary value. He notes that the seats are vacuumed, but they're You know, there's no evidence of staining or anything like that. And he also notes that the car has not recently been cleaned. Um, He says the trunk is still, you know, very dirty. There's dirt, there's, you know, tools Mm -hmm. in there, whatever. And that's about the extent of his statement. The officer ended up taking that ticket with him. Yes. They do process it for DNA testing just to make sure that that's not Brittany's blood and it comes back negative and it confirms that it is Chris's blood. That was definitely something that was talked about often about, you know, something early on. There's blood on this ticket and there's blood on this ticket and just how that's one of the wild rumors that got out of control. But here we can confirm has nothing to do with it. Yeah. They confirm that that uh, Brittany is neither a major contributor or minor contributor to that DNA profile. So it is, it is not his, it is not hers. Something else that has been, I, I want to say it was episode two, but we had talked to Brittany's father, Greg, and he had mentioned that there were some names of individuals who had, he had asked law enforcement about who had taken a polygraph. These are the other two individuals who end up taking polygraphs is one of them, Zach, and the other one's Chris. Correct. The same day, March 1st, 2019, both Zach and Chris pass. Sarah, this next individual that I want to talk about is somebody that we actually haven't heard from yet in the uh, show. Right. But he was somebody that was also around Ashley's Mm -hmm. during the time of Brittany went missing. And this individual's also been mistaken. I think some people thought when... He was referred to as one of Ashley's like brothers. Um, people thought maybe that was her biological. It's not. This guy's name is Larry. And there was a point in time in the season where I actually called him out by his name that he goes by. His name is Raven. Or he goes by Raven. So on February 22nd of 2019... Larry is interviewed after just being released from the county jail. And the detective says that he received information from an interview with Ashley. 
He says, when I inquired as to anyone that she knew with bleached hair, she stated the only person she could think of would maybe be Larry. The detective says that he interviews Larry and asks him if he knew Brittany Shank. And he says that he'd met Brittany at a bar. He says that his last contact with her was in August of 2018. He says that Brittany was with a subject by the name of Daniel, and we can surmise that this is likely Cage. He goes on to say that they were at the the Knights Inn in Sturgis. Larry states that he was with Ashley at the time, and he states that he added Brittany to his Facebook friends when he heard that she went missing. He says his Facebook name is Raven and a last name. He states prior to the Night's Inn meeting, he had met her a couple times at a bar in Sturgis. He says that he didn't have much interaction with her and says that he's never had bleached blonde hair. He says he colors his hair red, which the detective makes note that it is a rusty red color. He asks him if he's ever been to Brittany's grandmother's house. And Larry says, no, he has not ever been to Brittany's grandmother's house. The detective shows him a photograph of a composite sketch by Michigan State Police. And he asks Larry who he thinks that the subject looks like. And Larry says he thinks the subject looks like Eric S. But he has uh, never known Eric to bleach his hair. Larry says that he doesn't have any other information about the Brittany Shank case and says that if he gets any relevant information, he will contact the detective. This is on February 22nd, 2019, who has just been released from St. Joe County Jail. So my question is, well, when did he go to jail? Do we know that yet? No, we don't. We don't know that yet. That's something we want to follow up on. Now, what initiates them wanting to speak to Larry is from a conversation that they are an interview they have with Ashley, which we'll get to. Yes. But Larry, you know, he doesn't deny ever not meeting her. He says he met her back in August when she was still with Daniel at, I believe it was the night's in. Larry was there with Ashley. He was asked if he's ever been to Brittany's grandmother's house. And Larry says no. Something else to remember. They show a composite sketch, which is something that we were looking very hard for and we couldn't get our hands on this. So we do have that composite sketch. And Larry says that when they show that that sketch to him, Larry says he thinks that looks like Eric S. But he doesn't recall Eric ever bleaching his hair. I don't want to go into the reason why it hasn't been shared or why we won't share it. It's for the investigation. And there's a purpose and there's a, re- there's a reason for it. So I know that might be confusing, wondering, well, then why we do it in the first place? But like I said, without, I don't want to give information that's, that could, you know, hurt the investigation. So.
I want us to take a look at one of her ex-lovers, and I want us to go to Daniel, a.k.a. Cage's testimony. What's Cage have to say? So law enforcement reaches out to Cage pretty early on, just two days after Brittany is reported missing on December 10th, and they leave him a voicemail. Uh, a couple days later, on December 12th, Cage speaks with law enforcement over the phone, and he tells the detective that he is on his way back from Florida. He says he's approximately 15 hours away, and he tells the detective that he is coming back uh, for the purpose of looking for Brittany. On December 23rd, Cage gets pulled over, and... He says that he returned to Michigan on December 19th. Now, keep in mind, Cage has pretty consistently said that he was in Florida during the time when Brittany disappears. So Cage shares with law enforcement that he was told that there were three pings, three ping locations for for Brittany's phone. He says that a female told him this, and we later confirm through the case file that the the person who tells him this information is Ashley. Now, when you say ping, that's like cell phone tower pinging of the cell Like, Right. Can you ping a phone when it's not active? I, I No, no. So I think the phone has to be has to be active, right? Turned on. The only way that you can justify this type of argument, in my opinion, would be is that you had access to that phone account and you could see its whereabouts at its last moments mm-hmm. on the 30th by accessing the online account. But right. I don't know if that's possible. Like I, I would have to we would have to look into that. I can is that possible for someone to look at the last pings of a phone? Daniel saying there's a girl who's telling him where these and we know where her phone was at. And that's interesting. They request that Cage come into the sheriff's office. So on 131, he does just that. He goes into the sheriff's office and he gives a statement. And he tells them that he used to date Brittany. And he came back to Michigan for the reason of helping to to find her. Um, He tells them that the last time he saw Brittany was on 1014. So we're talking a couple months before three months before the current day, which is 131. He does say, though, that he talks to her on the phone on November 16th, 2018. So, you know, 15-ish days before she disappears. He says that he leaves for Florida on either the 27th or 28th of October, and he moves to Gainesville, Florida. They question, law enforcement questions Cage's involvement with Brittany's Facebook that goes active in July of 2019. He tells them that he and Brittany shared a Facebook account, which we've talked about, but denies making any attempts to access it in July of 2019. So we won't confuse that uh, account with Brittany's account that we have the data download for, which is BB God's Plan. So this is a different account. The account she shared with Cage is the Brittany Keltner account. So two different accounts there. He goes on to say that the last time he believes he saw Brittany again was 1014. Tells them again that 
shortly after that, he relocates to Florida. Prior to his relocation, they had been hanging out at a local bar called Nikki's. He rehashes that, again, the reason he is back is to look for Brittany. Cage provides his cell phone to law enforcement. So law enforcement talks to him about logging into Brittany's Facebook. And the reason they're asking him about logging into her Facebook is because his number, phone number, was connected to Brittany's Facebook account. And Cage shares with law enforcement, again, that that he did not attempt to log in to her account. He does admit that he attempts to log into Brittany's account back in December of 2018, so shortly after she disappears. But he says he, his, his attempts to get in at that time were unsuccessful. He said that when he did that, he was trying to help find out what, what happened to Brittany. And he says that he has not attempted to log into Brittany's Facebook account and that his phone was collected on January 30th, 2019, and they could look in his phone. When he goes into the station, it's also January 30th. So it's during that time he turns the phone over. So he tells him, you guys already have my phone. Right. But he does admit to attempting to log in in December, but it's yes. unsuccessful. Correct. Okay. And if they have his phone, you know, they, of course, they can certainly look and, and see the history. His timeline is just all over the place. Yes. Her leaving in June or July, he thought it was near her birthday. So then he told us it was July that she left, but it's really June. Right. I'm not really, I'm not, I don't want to put too much stock into those inaccuracies, to be honest. And here's why is him not being here in November 30th is the key thing for me. He provided his cell phone to law enforcement. It showed him on his account being out and about on the 30th. And he's jumping from basically bar hopping. In Florida. In Florida. He returns on the 19th, but he tells the detective on December 12th that he's uh, 15 about 15 hours, hours, right? hours. Yeah. Whether he arrives on the 15th, 16th, 17th, last time he saw her was in October, August. If he's not here in November and he's in, and there's confirmation, we have proof of that. I think the inaccuracy of his timeline doesn't carry much weight to me. He wasn't here. So you think it's it's just, you know, poor memory? I, my opinion. I mean, I've mm -hmm. talked to Cage multiple times. I think it was this or, I, you know, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was that or it was it around that date. You know, it's there are certain things that sticks out to him that he is vivid. You know, he can recall. And he's like, yeah, like on the 30th when they had that post on Facebook talking about how I was supposed to fly back here. And I was asking someone to pick me up. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at my Google history and I'm looking at my account stuff and seeing where I was at on the 30th. I'm at a bar like I'm out hopping around. Like that anchors in his memory, obviously, because it's the day of it. He mm -hmm. recalls going to check that history. He's 15 hours out. You know, we, I'd ask you that question. Do you think he drove this straight, you know, drove straight 15 hours? Or do you think he took two or three days to, to complete that drive? Right. I mean, it's kind of neither here nor there. Like you said, if, if his Google, if his Google history is, is location history is showing him out, you know, bopping around from here to there, wherever in, in Florida and and law enforcement confirms that when they have his phone, then, you know. What I find interesting is that in July, we know that law enforcement issues a subpoena for Britney's Facebook account because everybody's now contacting law enforcement, letting them know, hey, someone is active on Britney's Facebook. Right. 
So when they issue a subpoena, they get a return, and it shows three phone numbers. We know first one was confirmed to be Brittany's. Yes. Second one was Daniel's, and then there's there's a third person. They take that phone number and issue a subpoena to AT&T. They get a return from AT&T, but there's no customer info other than the longevity of the account, which was originally created back in 2014. Why don't we have any customer info? I don't understand that. Like I didn't provide the customer's information, just the fact that it was an account with AT&T and how long it had been made for, like how long it was when it was originally created. Like I just don't understand. The only place my mind goes is, is this number still active at the time they submit a subpoena? If it's not active, perhaps a customer name or customer information doesn't come back, perhaps. But I venture to guess that perhaps that number is still active. More than likely, because law enforcement says they use that phone number to gain access to Brittany's Facebook account. Right. And so when they pull the Facebook information, when that's returned to law enforcement, they look at the IP address that's using the Facebook account. It's to the AT&T phone number. Yes. Well, we know that Rockford has a conversation, the private investigator with Ashley, where Ashley tells him, that's me and Britt's account. Now we're going to do things my way. He contacts law enforcement and lets the detective know, hey, just so you know, that's her in the account. Mm-hmm. Rockford tells law enforcement that on, it's fair to say, July 10th, because that's when he discovers that that was Ashley in there in Brittany's account. Okay, so the last interview for today I want to go over is Ashley Marie's. Before we jump into that interview, we kind of have to explain how the interview is initiated. You guys might remember Ashley, I believe it's the 9th, has a conversation with Eric after Eric has just recently spoken with Grandma. Got a description of the mail that was with Brittany the night that they were at Grandma's on the 30th. And if you recall, Ashley says she closes her eyes and she listens to the description and she says, shit, that's Jeffrey Kiesling. She then decides to send a picture of Jeffrey to Sheriff Balk, who then forwards that picture to one of his sergeants to take out to Grandma and show Grandma to see if that mail is the mail that was with Brittany the night she went missing. So eventually there's the attempt to make contact with Jeffrey and he's unavailable. So they eventually go back to where the tip came from in the first place and they make contact with Ashley. Tell me what Ashley said. And for context, tell me exactly what the case file says, what she said. I asked Ashley if she would be able to recognize her sister's voice with only a few seconds of contact by phone, and she said she could. I advised her of the phone call I made to possible phone number and asked if she could call it to see if the female answering the phone is her sister. She stated she would, and she would then call into dispatch and ask for me. She called me back at approximately 60 and 37 hours and advised the phone number went directly to voicemail when she called it. She will continue to call it, and if she gets any information, she will pass it along to deputies. She mentions the ex, which is Cage, acting very suspicious lately. She tells that to law enforcement. Like, how do you know he's acting suspicious? Like, what is he doing? What communication have you had with him two days after Brittany's been reported missing 
when he's still in Florida? Like, what are you sending him down that path for? Like, what is he doing? Yeah, what are the suspicious acts? She continues on with Ashley sharing with the officer that she's speaking with that the description that Grandma gave also is sounding like an old co-worker. Now, we don't know if the co-worker is one of her fellow colleagues or Brittany's. I'm guessing she's referring to someone that maybe Brittany used to work with. So you send a picture of Jeffrey. Then you're saying Daniel's acting very suspicious lately. And then you're saying, hey, look at this old coworker too. So that's three names off on the table that we're dealing with right off the bat. Right. You, you made a point in this where you said, hey, the fact that they gave her that phone number. That was pretty surprising to me. I think probably, you know, so far, I think it's probably one of the more surprising things that I, I've read. It's, it's certainly strange. And, you know, what I would expect if they wanted Ashley to hear this this voice, you know, a deputy would either go to Ashley or Ashley would go to the sheriff's department and she would sit with them while the deputy dials the number and she can sit there and hear it and, you know, give a positive or a negative. But to give her the number while there's an open investigation happening is surprising and certainly not normal procedure. Let's address the elephant in the room. As soon as I read this, what the fuck does that mean? What do you mean that's her sister? Why would you allow law enforcement? Like, who plants that seed? Yeah. They're saying, and again, would you recognize your sister's voice? Like, this isn't like she was like a sister to me. Like, that's not the kind of wording that you're going to put into an investigative file. This is her claiming to be Brittany's sister. Yeah. Odd. And, And one other thing I want to point out is that she makes the comment about Brittany supposedly was supposed to move in with her, right? When Brittany announces it on Facebook on November 23rd or 24th that she's going to be with Sheldon and that they're Facebook official and she's staying over there, Ashley knew Brittany wasn't going to move move in with her anymore. Why are you saying she's going to move in with you? You know she's not going to. I mean, certainly by this time, you know, this is long after she she knew Brittany was not moving in. So this is on... December 10th. Let's jump to her next interview. This next interview is taking place on January 2nd, 2018. And the time is around 1145 at night and dispatch has been sent to Village Manor Apartments, specifically to Ashley's apartment. She's requesting because she has something that she wants to share with them. Tell me what Ashley says. Upon ringing the doorbell at the apartment, I made contact with Ashley, who was obviously upset and crying. She stated she had recently located pictures on the phone of Eric S., of Brittany. She stated she believed the pictures were recent and requested I look at them. She then provided me with the cell phone and three pictures that were concerning. And the deputy goes on to say he asked her, whose phone this was, at which time she stated it was Eric S.'s phone, Brittany's husband. I asked her why she had it, and she stated that the phone belongs to her. However, she's been letting Eric use the phone. She stated she pays for the plan, SIM card, and the phone. 
I asked her how she had it tonight. She said that Eric had asked if he could leave the phone at her house, plugged in while he went to his mother's house. She stated she found this suspicious, so she began going through his phone. She stated that when she went through it, she found some concerning pictures and immediately called us. Ashley stated she'd been friends with Brittany for a long time. I asked her if Eric has been saying anything lately about Brittany being missing, and she stated that he has not said anything, and that she also found that suspicious. She stated that he does not bring it up and just sits on the couch when he's at her house. I informed her that I cannot look through the phone without a search warrant at the time. She began going through the phone again. She later found that the photographs were possibly from January of 2018, so many months before. She stated that I could take the phone with me and do what I needed to do with it, seeing that it belonged to her. I informed her that before we went through the phone, we would obtain a search warrant if needed. She stated she was coming in later to have an interview with Sheriff Bulk and she would obtain the phone later if we were done with it. Ashley provided me with a yellow phone, active. She also provided me with the password of the phone. I asked Ashley if she had any information on where Brittany might be and she stated she didn't. All she knows is that Brittany was with Sheldon the night before she went missing. She stated she was acting weird when she was at Walmart, stating she needed to hurry. She stated that she was at Walmart buying light bulbs, at which time Brittany stated she should come over to Sheldon's house to change them. She stated she did not feel comfortable doing so, so she did not go to Sheldon's house. And that concludes the interview. I want to address the pictures real quick that Ashley requested law enforcement over to her house for. We've seen these pictures. As Ashley mentions, she discovers that the pictures were over a year prior to early January 2018. I know that the pictures have been passed around from to certain individuals, and I would ask anybody who does have these pictures not share them. They were pictures taken privately. They were not intended for people to see, I'd ask anybody who does have them to respect that. Eric tells her that he wants to leave his phone plugged in in the charger and he's going to walk to his mom's house. I just kind of find that strange. I don't know I don't know many people who say, hey, I'm going to leave my phone here charged and I'm going to go to my mom's. I just find that a little odd. But Ashley takes it upon herself to look through the phone. I don't know, Sarah. I just It just doesn't sit with me. Something just seems off about that. I can't remember anybody in my life ever saying, hey, I'm going to leave my phone charged in while I go home. Is it cool that I leave it here? Like, why wouldn't you just take your phone with you? I can only think of one reason I wouldn't take my phone with me. And that's because I don't want my location being tracked. You know, if you're going home, you know, our, our parents can sometimes be nosy. So uh, maybe you don't want your your phone at home. You know, at this point, he's a, a grown adult. He's, yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I would say if it were me, it's because I don't want my location being tracked. 
So we have the officer following up with some questions to Ashley about Eric's behavior. Ashley tells the, the, the officer that all he does is come over to her house and sits there and hasn't been saying much about anything lately and that she finds it suspicious. What I find odd about this whole scenario in this situation is why did you call them over here? Because if you recall, you said he was with you the night Brittany went missing. Like, you don't call law enforcement over if the night she goes missing, he was with you. Like, you don't even... If I would have found those pictures, I'd have been like, what the heck is this about? Which I would understand why she would feel, feel the way that she did. But he was with you. Like, that completely eliminates any initial thought of him being involved. But she takes it even further and contacts law enforcement. To me, this something just doesn't make sense here. Yeah. I mean, if, if Eric is with you that night you're together, then you know that he didn't have anything to do with her disappearance. So calling law enforcement seems strange. That seems strange. If Eric is with you, then you know where you were and you were at home, supposedly on the couch with Eric. And then there's no reason to call law enforcement for for these photos. Her thought process was, well, these images could be what's happening now. You know, and he's getting these images now, and this is what's happening to Brit. She quickly found out those were originally coming, those were back in like January of 2018. Right. Many months. And then we have her finally talking about how Brit was acting when she talks about acting oddly at Walmart and her going to buy the light bulb, and then Brittany asking her to come over so that she can help assist with changing the light bulb because Sheldon was there. You know, she's telling law enforcement she didn't feel comfortable about doing that going over Sheldon's, which is similar to what she's told us, but we don't have a date of this incident. Why it's so confusing for me is because I've seen the 23rd, I've seen the 24th, I've seen 27th, I've seen 28th. Like, what is it? I see. There is no, there is no mention of a date here. She's turning in a phone that we know Josh's, Pockets, Eric's. We know that she also had a guy, by Larry, who used this phone. So essentially, she's turning in a phone that has four other accounts on it. At least. I mean, those are just the ones we know about. The officer does end up leaving with this phone that Ashley is adamant that he takes. And we see it uh, entered in at 5.46 a.m. I guess my last question about this interview is, Eric, did you know that she took those pictures down to law enforcement? And she got into your phone after you had asked her to leave it charged. Did you know that she did that? This next interview is on January 8th, 2019. Ashley heads down to the sheriff's office for this interview. And there's a lot in this interview, a lot of details that are that are shared, individuals' names that are thrown out there. I don't want us to go over all the details in this one. I have multiple reasons why, but one of the major ones is, you know, we want to go again where we can find facts, go on all these tips and rumors and rabbit trails. But, you know, there are a couple things that we want to take away and talk about. 
one thing that's been discussed commonly, and even something I thought about early on. There was a question of whether or not Brittany and this mystery man were actually looking at breaking and entering to residences. Thought maybe going to John's or the young kid's house, like were they trying to find a house that they could break and entering into? Obviously that doesn't make sense as we think about it and we process, okay, why would you wreck a car if you're gonna break and entering? Why would you call 911? Why would you break an entry with your, you know, her feet are bleeding, her arms are cut up, you know, you're providing your DNA all over the house. You know, why get on the phone with 911? That didn't really make sense, but they asked her, hey, do you think that's what they could have been doing? This interview takes place on 1-8-2019. And one of the first things that Ashley says is that somebody, the name is redacted, uh, has freaked out about Brittany having a big mouth. That's something that caught my attention right away. We don't know who said this or who who Ashley is saying said this because, of course, she's the one reporting this. So that's something that caught my attention pretty quickly. You know, to tag on to your point about breaking and entering, there there is a statement in here from Ashley where the deputy asks... Ashley, if she has any idea why Brittany and this mystery man would have been out in that area at that time of night. And he asks if she thinks they could have been trying to to locate houses to break into. And Ashley's response is, yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise me. And she follows that up with a statement about who we think she's saying is Brittany um, having stolen an iPod from her sometime the previous October. She goes on to say that that whole crew was into breaking and entering. So that was another point that, that kind of grabbed our attention. All right, so I want to move on to the next interview, and that takes place on January 31st, 2019. And Sarah, can we also stick to as much as to the script? I would like us to read this straight from the case file. On 131, detective interviewed Ashley at the Sturgis Police Department. Ashley stated she knows Brittany Shank and stated she has not known her long. She stated she has known her since July of 2018. She stated that Brittany's husband was running drugs for Ashley. She stated his name was David Keltner. She stated that Kellner was buying drugs from Ashley's husband, who is known as Pocket, also known as Curtis Polly. Ashley stated she met Brittany at the Country Hearth Inn in Sturgis. She stated in September or October of 2018, they became closer. She stated she had last seen Brittany on 11-23-18 at Walmart with Curtis Polly. 
She stated that Brittany stopped by to buy drugs. She stated that Eric S. stopped by Ashley's house and told her not to say that he was there. Ashley thought Eric and Brittany were trying to work things out between the two of them. She stated that Brittany had messaged Ashley. She stated that she had met Brittany at Walmart at approximately 8.30 p.m. She stated Brittany had told her that she had only about a half hour because Sheldon wanted her back. She stated Brittany had asked for a half gram and then left. She stated this occurred at her residence on... She stated that Eric and Curtis Polly were at the house. She stated her last physical contact was the morning of 11 30 18 when Brittany texted her how are you doing because Ashley's boyfriend Curtis had been arrested Ashley stated that Brittany had asked what happened to pocket because she had seen Curtis had been arrested on mobile patrol she thought that was odd because she stated Curtis was not on mobile patrol at the time Ashley stated she asked Brittany if she had wheels and Brittany stated no in messaging. Ashley talked about a recording of Eric. She stated Eric the day before the 30th said he would have enough evidence to take to Sheriff Balk where the car was that Brittany was in. She stated Eric knew who did it and she recorded the conversation. Ashley stated that Brittany would purchase most of her drugs through her. If she could not purchase through Ashley, she would get them from Eric S. or Josh Vandervries, who we know as Dutchie. She stated those were the only three people Brittany would buy drugs from. Ashley stated that her Facebook page is under Ashley. We asked her if she knew anyone with bleached blonde hair. And she stated the only person that would maybe be close to that would be Larry. We asked her if she could contact Larry so we could speak with him. And she advised that she could. We then went back to the last contact she had with Brittany. And she stated on 11 28 18 at approximately 4.31 p.m., she had her last conversation with Brittany, and Brittany messaged her for drugs. She stated that Brittany asked if Ashley had 20, referring to 2 grams, and Brittany stated she had 50, referring to $50. That was the last conversation she had with Brittany. On the 28th is the last time she had seen Brittany, and the 30th is the last time she had any type of contact, and that was through Facebook messaging. Ashley appeared to be confused on the dates. She initially said the last time she had physical contact with Brittany was the 23rd, and then changed to the 28th. We then spoke about Larry, and she stated that Larry knew Brittany and stated that Larry had delivered drugs to Brittany for Ashley in the past, but not on the 30th. 
Ashley stated she had stopped talking to Larry in June. And then at the end of November, she wasn't talking to Larry. She stated the last time she spoke to Larry was on this date of 1-30-19. Ashley stated she did get into some of Brittany's accounts. She stated that the following account she was able to get into, she had paperwork that Jessica, Brittany's mom, had, and the following accounts are what she got into. And then there's a list of five accounts. We advised her that we did not want her getting into her accounts because that would show in any investigation we were doing and could make the investigation confusing. We asked Ashley if she would be willing to have our phone forensic analyst download her phone, and she advised that she would. On 2-1-19, Ashley came to the St. Joseph County Sheriff's Department and signed a consent to search electronic data storage media, which was her Samsung Galaxy S9. The deputy extracted the information and the phone was turned back over to Ashley on 2-1-19. Copy of the consent form and the release of property will be attached. In speaking with Ashley, Ashley stated that she did not have any first-hand knowledge of the disappearance of Brittany Shank. She stated she would hear things and put things she heard together to come up with a theory. We advised her that if she did have any factual information, do not interfere with the investigation. And she stated that she understood that. The interview was ended with Ashley. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Like many of the listeners, you guys might have to go back and listen again to some of those key points in her interview. What we'll do now is break it down. One of the first things that Ashley says to the detective is that she hasn't known Brittany that long, since July of 2018. And that completely kind of just contradicts everything up until this point. You know, we have a situation where you're portraying to be Brittany's sister. You've known Brittany a long time, is what you said in a different interview. To the rest of the world, you have us believing to this day that you guys are like best friends. And then you come in and say, you haven't known her that long. Now I get people could be close, but they haven't known each other that long. I get that. But it just seems like you're a drug supplier at this point. And then she kind of really throws us for a, a, a spin when she says, Britt's husband, David Keltner. I imagine that she meant to say Daniel and maybe they heard it wrong, whatever. But David Keltner is not her husband. And she knows that because she was with her husband on the 30th. Yeah, Ashley was with Brittany's husband on the 30th. Yeah. So why are you referring to her husband as David Keltner in this? Like you're, you're making things confusing. Ashley says her own, her husband is she, she refers to his pocket. You guys aren't married. <laughs> why are you, why are you saying these things? I, I to me, I, that's where I'm like, you're confusing this for a reason. It seems like. I mean, it's a simple question. When's the last time you saw your best friend that went missing, right? When's the last time you saw him? She says last time she saw Brett was on November 23rd, 2018. Good, we got the same date, except now it, the situation's changed again. You say, it's not just you and Brittany at Walmart. 
you now bring Pocket with you this time on the 23rd to get a light bulb. In the case file, they don't really reference going inside to purchase the light bulb. They don't reference Brittany when she's inside and she's trying to hand all these light bulbs to Ashley saying, is this one going to work? Is this one going to work? And Ashley's like, I'm high and I'm telling her to chill out. She doesn't reference any of that stuff. No, she doesn't reference. They don't reference the light bulb at all, actually. Then the story takes a turn because then she says that this takes place at her house. It's confusing with how it's worded, but Ashley shares that Britt was stopped by to purchase drugs and also Eric stated when he had stopped by Ashley's house not to tell Brittany that he's there at Ashley's. Now, we've heard that story before. The other part of it where you say Brittany said that when she came to visit you earlier in the day, and this is supposed to be on the 23rd. Why didn't you tell law enforcement that Brittany also said, don't tell Eric I'm here? You're only putting it out that Eric said that. Going back to the location, she says she met Britt at Walmart at 8.30 p.m., but then, again, the location changes of this drug transaction. But of this November 23rd meeting at Walmart, it then changes on here to Lower Court, which is where she would live at Village Manor Apartments. She also mentions Eric and Pocket being at the apartment or the Village Manor Apartments where she stays when Brittany stops by. Right. In the original story... Or I, I don't know if it's even the original story anymore, but in one of the stories, she says that Brittany wants her to come over to Sheldon's and, and Sheldon has tools and can, you know, help put the light bulb in. And she says that she doesn't need to. She doesn't. She has her own tools. But, um, you know, Eric and Pocket are at her apartment and, you know, they could help if if needed. See, so go back to like that whole comment that she made. And that's where I feel like uh, you, you're slipping up on that. You had said the reason why you didn't want Brittany to go to your house on the evening of her around eight o'clock where she's saying, hey, she wanted to stop by. And Brittany's reason was because she wanted to see her house. That's literally what she says when Brittany had already been over there and stayed over there multiple times, apparently. If Brittany was over there earlier in the day to get drugs, why did she need to meet with you again at night to get drugs? Right, Because she says, Brittany comes over earlier, says, don't tell Eric that I'm here. Well, she gets her drugs, leaves, and then she needs to meet with her again later on that evening to get more drugs. I didn't know. And then the detective goes wants to circle back to, or when's the last time she had had contact with Brittany? And she states that it was on now November 28th. We've seen that conversation where Brittany's looking to purchase more drugs from Ashley. And it's the whole stance that Ashley takes that that's not, that wasn't Brit on there. That's not Brittany behind that Facebook messenger messaging me saying she needs, you know, she has 25 and then she has 50. She tells him about that, but Ashley doesn't tell law enforcement. That's not my friend. Yeah, there's no mention of her thinking that that wasn't Brittany contacting her. And they continue as they wrote on the 28th is the last time she had seen Brittany. And the 30th is the last time she had any type of contact. And that was through Facebook messaging. You've known this, that you had contact with her on the 30th. You've known this the entire time. You've intentionally lied to me and told me that the last time you had contact with her was on the 28th, but you didn't think that that was her, so it was really the 23rd now. You have her messaging you the day of her disappearance, asking you about Pocket, and you chose to forget that information 
And then remember when I'm up there back in February, you recall now that she messaged you on the day of the 30th? Like, if you're, if you think that you're good at being an investigator in this and, or that you think that you're doing a good job, you're not. You should not forget that information, especially when you're inserting yourself and you get your hand in this as much as you do. Let's go back to that last comment or the, the 30th communication. When I'm standing in front of her and we're talking about your last, the last time you communicated with Brittany, I'm telling her like, hey, I don't see your communication. First of all, we don't see your conversation history with Brittany. But she makes a point to say that wasn't on Facebook. That was in text message. There are things that you have said that I have found to be different from your own words, from your like own what? testimony. For example, when's the last time you saw Brick? What day? 23rd. Something told me. Bullshit. I don't remember. Have it on video. What? 27th. You told me today, when's the last time you actually text messaged Britt? When's the last time she text messaged you? We didn't even finish that conversation. When? What day? No. What day? I will not answer this one if I can answer it with the whole you fucking explanation. Me, you told me she texted you early morning of the 30th. You said the last time you talked now to her was I... on the 27th. Right? Do you want the rest of that? Why is it changing? Because that's not Brittany! Why is it changing? It's not changing. If you listen if... to the whole fucking thing... Now, you have to listen to the whole thing. Well, it's not written on Facebook anymore. That wasn't through Facebook. <laughs> that so, was text message. So now... And no, the very last message between Brittany and I is not Brittany, and I've said that. I said that to the cops. You said to me when she texted you about, do you have something? She, you said no, and she didn't say, like, I got 50, so I still got nothing. That was not Brittany, and I said that to the cops. Hold on. That was grandma, grandpa, Scott, two nephews, the cousins. They've seen Brittany face to face already. They have, she's alive. That is Brittany. No, those last messages were not Brittany. How do you know that? Because of what was said. What was said? She said, I got 50. Yeah. I said, I got nothing but bad luck. Yeah. If that were my friend, she would not have upped the ante. She would have said, talk to me. Eric, when I told Eric about it, he got some weird messages too that he said we're not from Brittany either. But why are your messages gone? They're not! Why are they gone? They're not gone! Every message between her and I is still around because of me. You sent me, doesn't have any of your When law enforcement asked if she knew of any male that had bleach blonde hair, she says Larry is the only person that she can think of. Here's the interesting thing about Larry is that Larry was, like I said, they were close friends. We've heard Larry's interview. And as we break down Larry's interview here, Ashley, in her own words, said, Larry, you delivered for her. And not only did you deliver for Ashley, but you delivered directly to Brittany. 
And in your interview with law enforcement, you never told law enforcement you delivered drugs to Brittany. Why didn't you tell law enforcement that, Larry? Did you know that Ashley said this about you? Where did you deliver those drugs to? Because you said you'd never been to grandma's. Their relationship about, it gets really confusing between Ashley and Larry because when they ask about their communication and how, what's the relationship look like today, I guess, they stopped talking in June, but we don't have a year specified. Also says that they stopped talking at the end of November, followed by last time, last time that they spoke was on January 30th, 2019, which is the day before this interview takes place. What did you need to talk to Larry about the day before this meeting? What was that conversation like? When law enforcement asked, did she access any of Brittany's accounts? And she lists off four different accounts here. You found it necessary to contact law enforcement back on, what, January 2nd, when you find those pictures on Eric's phone. But yet you knew that that timing of that photo wasn't going to line up. You felt it was necessary to share the recording of Eric Glide with Brittany's mom, Jessica, because you felt the mother needed to hear it and she deserved to hear it first. When you have her passwords and account information and you've logged into them, you, you're letting law enforcement, you successfully logged into them. Why didn't you ever like say, hey, I, I gained access. You guys need to have this information. Seems like you need to be in control. Why wouldn't you, you know, if you're, if you have access, like you said, why wouldn't you immediately give it to law enforcement? But for somebody who thought that Jessica needed to have that recording of Glide before law enforcement did, why would you not think that her mother might like to have this? She gained access to Brittany's accounts because of the documents at Jessica provided to her. You're not telling the truth, dude. Right. You obviously gained all this information from Sheldon because you guys wanted to have those passwords. From Jessica, we know that Jessica took those notebooks, that information, and she took it directly to the sheriff's department. And we can corroborate that with the information that we have in the case file. She takes it not only to law enforcement as soon as she gets it from Sheldon, but then she meets up with Eric and Ashley, and they know by the 10th, Jessica already took those and turned them in. Why you're leading on law enforcement to believe that you gained access because of what Jessica provided to you, it's misleading. Law enforcement actually ends up giving her a day instead of following her back to her house to retrieve her phone. Why did you go to the sheriff's office without your phone? Let me clarify that a little bit. She says this is her phone. You know, whether this is the, the phone that she actually is day-to-day -day using, who knows? People have burner phones, you know, whatever. Well, you obviously have one that you've lent out to other people to use. You, you, let, you did turn that in. Let, we're not going to act ignorant to the fact that what you're turning in doesn't necessarily mean that that's the phone you've been using. Correct. Correct. She returns the next day with this phone, turns it in. They take a scan from it and then give her the phone back. If you knew you're about to turn in a device that had incriminating information and I had a day. At the end of this interview, law enforcement makes it very clear that they want two things from her. And that's 
to stay out of the accounts and not to interfere in their investigation. That seems to be two things she has directly disobeyed. You know, here we are in 2022, and it seems like that those um, orders, you know, when they're telling her those two things, she um, seems not to follow those directions. We know that that's Ashley in Brittany's account in July of 2019. Yeah. We know that they questioned Daniel, a.k.a. Cage, about possibly being the person who got into Brittany's account in, during that summer in July of 2019. But this is the last interview with Ashley. They never even called her back in to discuss why she was back in the account again and what she had discovered. They questioned Daniel, but this is the last interview. She hasn't talked to him since January 31st of 2019. We haven't seen it anywhere in the case files to show that she's had any more communication. Why didn't they question her in July 2019? You know, we have evidence logs and we don't see anything coming in from, from her in evidence logs either. There's a confidence that she walks with because no one's holding her accountable to this. She's obviously interfering with an investigation. We don't have Brit's accounts, guys. Facebook's a very critical, all social media platforms that someone's using when they go missing are a piece of evidence. Why they're not questioning Ashley about her involvement in Britney's Facebook account and getting in there, and they have a private investigator. Rockford tells them on the 9th or 10th of July, that's Ashley. Why wasn't she questioned? I mean, not only does he tell them that, but he has the proof to to back that statement up because, you know, she comes in and, and says, yeah, that was me. Now we're going to do things my way. Right. And, you know, we don't, we don't see any follow-up from that. I understand how things got really messy. Yeah, I do too. And I'm not saying that there wasn't legwork put into this. Like there was a lot of like interviews done, you know, over 200 plus easily. There's more we're going to dive into with searches that were done. And there are a lot of man hours put into this, so please don't mistake my frustration for that. But it's hard when I see some of these things that are stay out of her accounts in January. Six months later, she says, I don't give a shit what you had to say. I'm going to get back in there. And she does. And then she tampers with things that we can, we're, we're showing and we're proving something's wrong here. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to access and look at Britney's Facebook page today. There's no reason why people who had communication with her and shared images, videos, there's no reason why they can't go back to that and look at that stuff if you didn't do anything with it. Very frustrating. Frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. What's up with Ashley and Larry? Ashley says Larry's delivered narcotics to Brittany previously, but not on the 30th. Larry either conveniently forgets this detail and has selective memory, or it never happened. Ashley tells law enforcement that Larry is the only one she knows with bleach blonde hair. According to the detective who meets with Larry, his hair was rust colored at the time of their interview. Larry says he usually keeps his hair red. So what color hair were you sporting on November 30th, 2018, Larry? Or perhaps I should call you Maverick. Either way, in December of 2018, 
You had blonde hair, Larry. At least partially. Did you know the woman who referred to you as her brother tossed you under the bus, Larry? Message me. We should chat. Ashley's ever-changing testimony to law enforcement is consistent with her ever-changing testimony elsewhere. From Brittany being her sister, to knowing her a few months, to not really knowing her very long. We begin to see a more clear picture. A friend is someone you have a mutual affection with. An acquaintance, on the other hand, is someone you know. It seems Ashley was Brittany's acquaintance. Her supplier. Remember, Ashley told us in her own words that she doesn't like females. Well, what do you know? That statement seems like a rare occurrence of the truth. Ashley has continued to maintain through current day that she's turned everything over to law enforcement. Though the last time we see any interaction between Ashley and law enforcement is in 2019. It appears her contact with law enforcement is as consistent as her testimony. Between 2018, when law enforcement began to interact with Ashley regarding the disappearance of Brittany Wallace, and 2021, when I began interviewing her, there's been no shortage of discrepancies. For someone who claims to have an eidetic memory, she sure forgets an awful lot. Like whether or not your best friend's husband was with you on the night she disappeared. Or if you spoke to your best friend the day she disappeared. Or even something as simple as knowing the last time you ever saw her. In episode Woe Is Me, Ashley made a statement that at the time I thought was powerful. Today, I still think it's powerful, but for a different reason. She said, If I wanted to look better when the stories are being told, I should have behaved differently while they were being written. Ashley, maybe it's time to start behaving differently so this last chapter can end with Brittany coming home. Next time on Hide and Seek. There's a, there's a, there's actually a positive identification on the mail that grandma takes a look at and she says, yeah, that's the guy that was with Brittany. Let's go to his testimony. Now we've done the GPR there and we've done our part to try to figure out if there's anything going on underneath the surface, but there was more to the Donald Hill rumors. Let's go to Don Hill's testimony. Oh shit, look at that, sir. He intentionally goes back to pick it up. He doesn't want them to have his DNA. a collect call from Robert Porter an incarcerated individual at St. Joseph County Jail thank you for using Securus
You may start the conversation now. Hey, is this Robert? Hey, this is James. How you doing, man? The Hide and Seek podcast is hosted, directed, edited, and produced by James Basinger. Written, edited, and produced by Sarah Joe. Engineered, mixed, and mastered by Nudon's Audio Engineering. Director of Photography is Ethan Schatz. Our graphic design is created by Jordan Robinson. <laughs>